This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 14th, 2006, and I'm Anastasia Glova, your host. Scolding China's economic and trade policies is nothing new. It's been accused of everything from stealing our jobs to taking our money and flooding our shores with substandard goods. In an op-ed published in the National Review Online this week, Daniel Eikenson, who is associate director of the Center for Trade Policy Studies and co-author of Anti-Dumping Exposed, the Devilish Details of Unfair Trade Law, argues that China deserves our praise for the progress it has made and that it should be encouraged, not blocked, from continuing to make strides in the right direction. How has China's membership in the WTO affected its economy? China's economy has been in growth mode since the late 70s when Deng Xiaoping instituted reforms for the country. Since China's WTO membership five years ago this week, that trajectory has been even steeper. China's economy is growing faster, double digits at an annual rate. But it's not only China's economy that has fared well on account of its membership in the WTO. The U.S. economy has done exceptionally well during the past five years. It's expanded for 19 consecutive quarters. It's increased by 30% since 2001. In real terms, it's increased by 16%. There's a lot of bluster from U.S. manufacturing industries about the adverse impact of imports from China on U.S. manufacturing industries, but the fact is that U.S. manufacturing output has actually increased by 18% since China joined the WTO. Revenues have increased by 38%. Operating profits for manufacturing industries have increased at an increasing rate every single year, and wages in manufacturing have gone up nearly 10% over this period. Likewise, the global economy has experienced no hiccups in the past five years. A lot of countries are doing very well on account of the fact that China is a production platform. There's a lot of outsourcing going on from Japan, for example. The Japanese economy was moribund for over a decade, but recently it has awakened from its slumber and is doing quite well. And one of the reasons is because they're able to rely on Chinese production and the Chinese market. So it's been a boon for the world that China is part of the global community. Nonetheless, it's a fact that the U.S. manufacturing sector has declined in recent years. Certainly there has been a decline in the number of workers in the U.S. manufacturing sector, but China has lost even more manufacturing jobs than has the United States. There is this belief that every time a shop closes down in the United States, a production facility closes down, that it reopens in China. The fact is Americans invest less in China. American individuals and companies invest less in China every year than we do in the Netherlands. And American companies employ fewer people in China than we do in Germany. This decline in manufacturing employment is a worldwide phenomenon, and it is attributable to a longer-term trend of productivity growth. We don't need as many people on the production line to produce the widget today as we did a year ago, five years ago, and 20 years ago. If this is true, if this phenomenon is happening simultaneously everywhere else in the world, then why is China constantly put in a position where it has to defend itself against criticism that it's causing a huge trade deficit and that it's stealing U.S. jobs? Policymakers in Washington have a habit of focusing on the trade account. There is this mercantilist culture under which they operate, where exports are good, imports are bad, and the trade account keeps score. And because we have a trade deficit, the conclusion is that we're losing at trade. And then we're losing at trade because our trade partners are cheating. In China's case, its biggest trick is to keep its currency undervalued. At least that is the allegation. Economists tend to agree that the Chinese currency is undervalued, but there is a lack of consensus as to the impact on trade flows if and when the yuan does appreciate. In my view, it's quite possible that the trade deficit could grow larger. The U.S. trade bilateral trade deficits with our other trading partners have expanded in the past several years, despite the fact 
that the U.S. dollar has been declining. And that's because there are other factors that determine consumption. It's not just relative prices, which the exchange rates help determine. There's also an income effect. And as the American economy has expanded, people's incomes have expanded, and we continue to spend. I would say there's a lot of focus on China, primarily because China is emerging. It is the fastest-growing large economy in the world. We do import quite a lot more from China than we used to. In the past five years, U.S. imports from China have gone up, but exports to China have gone up by about 180%. So we have to remember that China is our fastest-growing export market. And if we try to hit them over the head with sticks to induce them to do the things that we think are important and necessary, we may lose out on the opportunities that its growing market offers our exporters. But are perhaps some of the complaints leveled against China valid? I think so. I am not opposed to holding China's feet to the fire. China agreed to sweeping reforms when it joined the WTO in 2001. It has done a remarkably good job of implementing those reforms. Its tariffs have been reduced from an average of about 25% to about 7% now. Investment flows into China very easily. Competition in most service industries is fairly uninhibited. But there are areas where China is falling short. And I think if industries in the United States feel that they are losing out because China is not living up to its obligations with respect to, say, intellectual property rights enforcement, domestic content laws, competition in various service sectors, then it's well within the United States' rights to bring a case within the WTO. What I object to is calls for unilateral sanctions against China. This Schumer-Graham bill, which would call for a 27.5% tariff across the board, would not only violate our WTO commitments and set a terrible example for trade partners around the world, but it would be ruinous to the U.S. economy. It would really undermine consumers and consuming industries. Would threatening China with revoking its membership in the WTO be a reasonable way to get China to live up to some of its promises? I think that would be going beyond the pale. China has only had two cases brought against it in the WTO in the five years that it's been a member. The United States brought the first case last year, and it was a case involving a semiconductor tax. And before that case reached formal adjudication within the WTO, it was resolved, and China reformed its policy to the liking of U.S. semiconductor exporters. This year, a case was brought on auto parts, and there's a policy in place that encourages use of domestically produced, in other words, Chinese-produced auto parts over imported auto parts, which the United States and, incidentally, Europe and Canada believe is a violation of China's WTO commitments. That case is actually going into dispute settlement. And if the dispute settlement panel and the appellate body, if it is appealed, rules in favor of the United States, then U.S. auto parts producers will have achieved a victory. And I think Congress, to that end, will see that this multilateral system is, in fact, working, and they may be less inclined to advocate unilateral sanctions, which would be good for everyone. In Congress last year, legislation was introduced that would strip China of its normal trade relations status unless and until it lived up to its obligations. I think that makes no sense at all. If we really have problems with Chinese policies, what better way is there to address those problems than through this formal WTO adjudication process? As a member of the WTO, China has access to the world's markets, but the world's producers also have access to the Chinese markets, and the world's producers have recourse to dispute settlement or to formal discussion and resolution of perceived barriers in China. If we chase China from the WTO, it'll be much more difficult to see these issues resolved effectively and satisfactorily. There seems to be a lot of impatience in Washington with the progress that China has made. 
And in fact, they have made great strides. There are still barriers to overcome, but we made a decision some time ago after Tiananmen Square that the best way to approach the Chinese was through engagement rather than isolation. We've invested 17 years of engagement since Tiananmen Square. And I don't think it makes any sense at this point to turn our backs on that process, particularly when we're seeing the Chinese market grow at the pace that it's growing and U.S. exports increasing at the pace that they're increasing. We also have to recognize that it's a two-way street. The U.S.-Chinese trade dialogue always sounds like it's the U.S. dictating terms to China. You must do this. You have to do this. But in fact, there are several U.S. policies in place that agitate the Chinese. One of them is the non-market economy status given to Chinese exporters in anti-dumping cases. I think if the United States were willing to change that status and treat China like a normal economy in dumping cases, China would be much more forthcoming and much more willing to implement the policies that the U.S. government is urging them to undertake. The book mentioned in this podcast, Anti-Dumping Exposed: The Devilish Details of Unfair Trade Law, is available at Cato's online bookstore at www.catostore.org.